What you want to be when you grow up is one of those things that adults love to ask kids. Like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Like, adults, it's, just, it's an easy question to interact with a kid, um, especially when I didn't have a kid. And I was like, well, I don't know, what do you do with those things? Um, you're like, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? If you ask Colin who he wants to be when he grows up, it's, uh, oh, there's a list. I want to be a firefighter. I, um, a probably superhero would be in there. Oh, he, uh, it will call it a police. He wants to be a police. Um, and then what else would be on that list? Uh, oh, astronaut. Astronauts have been a big one recently. So he's going to lead a very busy life. Or maybe they'll all be together and become like some kind of space force in, uh, on the moon or something like that. Um, but that question of what you want to be when you grow up is definitely it's a new one. It's not one like 200 years ago that we would have asked. Because if you're a farmer, sorry, boy, you're going to be a farmer, buddy. Like That's just what you're going to do. If your parents worked in a mill, you're going to work in a mill too, and probably from like Colin's age even. Uh, we have lots of choices in our time, and this can be really great. It can be, and it's not a bad thing. That's, that's a very good thing, and our civilization has worked really hard to make all those choices be real for all of us. And, but we have all sorts of choices now, like where do you want to live? Who do you want to marry? Maybe some of us are still asking the question of what do I really want to be when I grow up? Because it's a big one. But there's also smaller questions like, seemingly insignificant ones like, am I going to buy a car? Okay, if I am gonna buy a car, what kind? How many miles? What year? Like, how many like, doors? How big is it gonna be? What insurance should I get? Where should I buy this car from? Do I go to a website? Is this the best deal? Like, there's, we're like, overloaded with choices. And that's just for a dumb thing like buying a car. That doesn't really matter. Uh, in this sea of choices, I think, how do we know what to do? And all the choices that we have, cars, friendship groups, careers, where we're gonna live, are we gonna to move to another country, like us, all the other kind of things. I mean, Netflix, will we ever reach the bottom of Netflix? Does it have one? I, don't, I think it's infinite. And it, like, I think it's like there's, just, there's shows upon shows upon shows, there's never, there's never a bottom. And I've noticed too that um, when you sign into someone else's Netflix account, you're like, oh, what are all these shows? All these recommendations, oh, I must add them to my list. I mean, our Netflix list, I mean, it must, must be years long, I don't even know how long it would be. But in this kind of sea of choices, how do we know what to do? We have FOMO, fear of missing out. We also have this other thing, doesn't sound as cool as FOMO, fear of making decisions. Fond, doesn't really, doesn't really work. But it's true, we do have a fear of making decisions. Uh, it's like the toothpaste aisle in a Super Tesco. You know, you have every kind of brand offered uh, and, and all of them have their own kind of thing. Whitening, oh yeah, I want whitening. Fresh breath, oh I want fresh breath. Uh, long lasting, oh I want that. Cavity protection, I want that. And like, the, all of a sudden, the future health of my teeth are in the balance. I don't know what to do. I'm looking at all these things. What, what's going to happen? And it's also difficult because we know that we're limited. We're, we're not infinite. We don't know everything. Decisions we've made, some of them have been good in the past, some of them not, and we didn't really know it at the time. They just kind of ended up that way. Even in the best intentions, we're just limited by ourselves. And this is where we find the people in our story today. More than just wondering if they're going to make the right decision, uh, they're hurled into, into uncertainty. They're hurled into doubt. It's an epic leadership fail. Judas Iscariot, by the way, there's another Judas. He's like, son of James, son of James, not Iscariot, don't worry. Um, Judas Iscariot, could there be wor like a worse leadership? He's with these people for years. And there's only 12 of them. They knew each other really well. And they, he, they're with the leader all the time. And he betrays their leader and the leader's tortured and dies. Like they should be finished, it should be done. What's the deal? And they're all together, the 120 of them, and they're like, well, where to next? Things have gone horribly wrong. Well, Jesus sends his spirit so that they might be led by him. 
He doesn't leave them to themselves. They have all this doubt. They have all, all this uncertainty. Surely they have anxiety, but they don't have to be led by that. They can be led by the Spirit. And this is what Jesus gives us. Now, last week we talked about how the, uh, the Spirit empowers the powerless. Uh, and that's great. And that's true. But he doesn't just empower us to just kind of do whatever. He, he guides us. He helps us navigate this kind of sea of choices that we have. And the thing is, we get to be relieved of anxiety, of worry, of all the burdens that we kind of drag along with us. We get to be re- relieved of being led by those things if we have the Spirit leading us. And if not, um, we can't help but be led by those things. We can't help but be working out of fear, out of anxiety, out of, out of worry. Now, this doesn't mean that we're not going to experience bad things in life. We will all experience fear, anxiety, worry, etc., etc., etc. But this means we don't have to be led by them. We don't have to live in them. In experiencing those hard, difficult things, we can be led by Jesus himself through his spirit. And it turns out, as we look at this, is it's actually it's quite simple. There's no special formula, no kind of special prayer of incantation to make this thing work. Um, what does it mean to be led by the spirit? Well, this God here, his words to us in Acts chapter one, said, is telling us, well, we pray, we listen to his word, and we act. That's what we're gonna look at today. Very, it's not mind-blowing or revolutionary or anything. It's very basic and simple, um, which is great news because it doesn't mean we have to be mind-blowing or extraordinary ourselves. And regardless of, of what we think about Jesus or the church, like wherever you are with Jesus, I think all of us, regardless of where we are, we could all use more direction in our lives. Everyone could. And this is what Jesus, the gift, one of the gifts that Jesus gives us as we get to be led by his spirit. So let's start with that first one, is we pray. Being led by the spirit means that we pray. So after being with the resurrected Jesus for 40 days, seeing him ascend into heaven, where he's now, he's ruling, he's reigning. The disciples are seeing all these kind of miraculous things. There are angels talking to him, saying, why are you looking up in the sky that she's gonna come back? And imagine like the amount of passion and enthusiasm they must have, like, oh, this is amazing. And what's the next crazy thing they do? What's the big thing they do next? You just go home and pray. Go, okay, we'll go home and pray. Like, it's not amazing. They didn't start some cool business. They didn't start, you know, getting loads of Instagram followers. What'd they do? Jesus told them to wait. He said, wait for the Spirit. The Spirit's gonna come, wait. And so they wait. And they teach us what it means to wait. Waiting, in Jesus' terms, means praying to him, asking him to do the thing that he's going to say to do. And they go to a room, which is not unlike, as I was reading this, I was like, oh, it's kind of like Royal Oak. It's a hired room um, on the first floor of what would be flats probably there. But it was like a, basically like a function room. And there's 120 of them, so we're not quite 120. But maybe in like, if you convert it to English terms, it equals 120. Um, so we're, we're, it's very, very similar to what, um, what, where we are now. They're just together. Um, and it, it says here that they are, um, uh, they're all joined together constantly in prayer, including the women, lest anyone thinks it's like some kind of man's job. Like, oh, it's the men. They do the work. Like, no, especially writing then. That's actually quite revolutionary. Here, it should be assumed, and that's rightfully so. Um, but especially writing then, it's like, no, women are just as involved as the men are. And they're together. Uh, this together, um, other translations, if you have them, it might even say that they were there with, uh, with the same purpose or of the same mind. And that word behind together means the same thing, not just physically together, but on the same page, um, spiritually even. Together on one mind with one accord, all those kind of ways that we talk about people being together. It's not just people who were gathered and happened to be in the same room. They were there together. And by the way, everything that happens in this story uh, happens together. When, we, when, when I say that we pray, 
um, my first thought is, oh, that means I need to pray more by myself. But this isn't how it works in the story. They're praying together. And when we talk about reading the Bible, listening to God's word, they're listening to God's word together. And we talk about acting, they're not acting by themselves. They're all acting together. So all of this is like comes with an assumed kind of thing. All of the, um, the verbs that happen in here, those kind of things, they're all plural in the Greek. So there's all things that are we're doing all together. Uh, and what are they doing together? Well, they're devoting themselves to prayer. They're constantly in prayer. They're persevering in prayer, one of your translations might say. I think persevering is a great word for it because praying is really difficult sometimes because it often feels like not lots of things happen. If you haven't felt like you've gotten to the level of you're like where you're persevering in prayer, um, I mean, that's just like a, kind of, I think, what the normal act of prayer is like. It's work. It's work. It's difficult. Not always fun because I want to do stuff. And prayer is basically saying, stop doing stuff. But they're praying for the Spirit um, to work, and that's how we wait. Jesus said, wait for me to send the Spirit, and their waiting means they waited for Jesus to send the Spirit, and that's what it means to wait. As they wait for Jesus to work, they gather and they pray. And because of that, they're unified beyond anything else that this world offers. They're unified beyond something more than people who have to be in Charlton, or people who have to be in Charlton and like knitting, or like... Uh, whiskey tasting or whatever kind of like community kind of events that we can have on a purely human plane. They're unified by with something supernatural, something bigger than themselves. And prayer is actually mentioned 31 times in Acts 28 chapters. There's only 28 chapters and prayer is there all the time. And often the prayer is kind of similar to this. It's focused on their mission and what, what, what should we do next is really the big prayer. That's, I think, how we should, our, our missional communities need to be reflecting this. Like, are we persevering in prayer in our missional communities? Oh, man, I know we can get better at that in ours. It's a level, like, it, we need to be asking the Spirit, what next? Because decisions aren't ours to make by ourselves. We should pray before we act. The thing that, as people who follow Jesus, is uh, sometimes it feels like, ah, oh, okay, I gotta do this, then I'll have to act. But it's actually, it's a, what an amazing gift to be able to invite the Holy Spirit himself into whatever else is going on, even if it's waiting. Whether the thing is difficult, whether the thing is great, we get to invite the Holy Spirit himself into that. And in what was this kind of epic leadership fail with Judas? There are so many reasons for this small group of people to be destroyed. But God works through his church in good times and in bad times. So how did they, I mean, they're looking for another leader because Judas is dead. How are they going to pick this person? Are they going to hedge their bets? They're going to pick the safe guy? Like, oh, well, this guy's very theologically astute. We should just pick him and, like, move on. Or, like, the really strong guy, the guy who has a lot of community links, the guy who's, like, the tallest, the strongest. Like, what are, who, like how, who are they going to pick? Well, they don't act first. They don't form factions and fight each other, which is what we churches love to do. Um, they don't use the community, like, this kind of epic fail to, as, a, as, a, as an opportunity to moan, like, oh, man, their leadership development process is horrible. Like, that's a bad news. No, they prayed. Even right before they acted in verse 24, they prayed. And a praying church is a unified church. So if Will, as an assistant leader, he's not here now, if Will Tyndall, he's, he's our, our church intern, if he betrays me and I am publicly uh, tortured, humiliated, and put to death, everyone would be like, well, there goes Redeemer. Like, that's not gonna work. Like, that's, that's done with that church. But that's just not the case here in this story because God's behind it. But I hope Will does not betray me and have me tortured. <laughs> So if you could just give him that message for me. I feel like it might be weird coming directly from me. Um, so just, yeah. I mean, there, there is um, a fellow church in Acts 29 that in what I think was their first year, uh, the wife of an elder left him for another woman in the church. 
And this is like the first year of existence. A lesbian affair is not the best way to begin a church. It was difficult. And our pastor friend was basically like, well, that's it, it's done. Like, are we gonna stay here? Are we gonna move somewhere else? Like, that's it, we're finished. There's no way to move on from this. But God was behind it, even in the broken parts. I think that was, I don't know, 10-ish years ago or something like that. The church is alive, it's flourishing today. In fact, they're in the middle of planting one church, maybe even two churches in the moment. But there was a lot of prayer that was going in on that situation. It should have destroyed them, but God was behind it. Now that's true for the church, and, uh, and, and that's true, and that's great and fantastic. But what about kind of just in our own particular lives, the uncertainties that we all face? All of us have uncertainties. If we had like little thought bubbles above all of our heads, like this room would be filled with all the uncertainties, all the doubts, all the fears that we all have. Like this room would be filled with them. How are we responding? How are we bringing those lives to what we're, what we're reading today? I mean, when you feel the weight of the world, what are you being led by? Probably, if we're honest with ourselves, more often than not, we are being led by that fear or that doubt. And we make decisions out of that. In this story, though, we've been given a picture of what it looks like to wait. Waiting is difficult. That's why we have phones, right? This is, we don't have to wait anymore. Like, if I'm in a queue, of, you know, whatever the thing is, I hate waiting. I don't like it because it feels like nothing's getting done. And I'm completely pragmatic, like most of us. Let's, let's do stuff. If there, if there is any kind of uncertainty or uh, problem, my first response is like, okay, let's find the solution and get it done. Like, just do it. Let's just do it. Um, or we can do what other churches do and they fight each other or distrust each other or just kind of give up or whatever. But waiting is actually, it's a gift from God because it's, it's an opportunity, a space to be able to talk to God and in order for us to grow in him. Often we want that consequence relieved. Whatever the problem is, we want that, that initial fear relieved. But what God is doing in those waiting spaces, he's, he's actually growing us. And that might mean we don't get relief immediately, which is horrible and no one likes that. But sometimes that's how we grow because waiting is meant to be transformative for us. So let's not waste those times where we don't know what God is up to, which is probably 99% of our lives, if we're gonna be honest. We don't really know what God is doing. Maybe we are on a path where we're like, I don't know, maybe I don't, don't really know what he's doing. Those kind of times where we're not knowing and uncertainty and doubt and everything, it's a gift from him from us, to us. I think religious people, they try and stuff that down. Uncertainty, that's not faith, get it out of here. Like doubt, that's not faith, get out of here. Fear, let's get out of here. And then we don't ever, we don't ever deal with it. And we become these like emotionally immature people who can say spiritual things, but don't actually reflect it in our lives. But those times are a gift from him to us so that we would talk to him about it and where we get to see him work. And so that's why we pray. So we pray, um, and that's one, uh, one way we're led by the Spirit. Another way of being led by the Spirit means we rely on his word because Jesus speaks through his word. So Peter brings this catastrophic leadership fail through the lens of scripture. He brings up um, some Old Testament passages that we'll look at in a moment. He doesn't like call like, just best practices. He doesn't call some kind of outside leadership guru to kind of say, okay, where should we go next? Um, I think it's really important for us uh, to know that we ought to be interpreting our lives through the words of scripture. I mean, the way that Peter says it is very interesting. He says, um, uh, where is the first one? Uh, that um, the spirit, uh, long ago in verse 16, the spirit spoke through David concerning Judas. And then he lists some scriptures. It's not, he doesn't just say, the Bible says that, the words says that, the Torah says that. He says like, the spirit spoke through David. And he's reading it today as if it matters today because those words that we have in scripture matter for us today. He speaks those words to us 
And God's words are always being spoken to us all the time. All these words, it's like so accessible. You can like, you can actually read them. If you can read, you can actually read God's words to you. That's amazing. What? That should be crazy. It should be weird. Like why are we, it becomes so used to it. It becomes like, oh yeah, I mean, God could talk to me, I guess. But Netflix, you know, whatever the thing might be. Um, And through that, we're like, oh, God just feels so far away. It feels so absent. I think maybe, not all the time, but maybe some of the time, isn't God's absence from you. It's your absence from God. So are we bringing our lives, not just reading, and that's great, we need to read it, but as we're reading, are we bringing our lives to the text? One commentator said that scripture is ultimately a revelation from God. God speaks in it. Scripture can guide the disciples because it is the spirit of God at work. Like these are his words and they matter in in how we act. It's a revelation. That's how you'd like describe an amazing film or an amazing piece of music is it feels like it's taking you from a place to a whole nother place. Oh, there's a revelation. I mean, how does Peter interpret the Old Testament? It's actually kind of interesting here um, and teaches us kind of how to interpret the Old Testament. Sometimes like, well, I don't know, it's written to people a long time ago under this old kind of way of doing things. Like, what's the deal? Well, he brings up Psalm 69. Um, he also brings up Psalm uh, 109. And what he does, I'm gonna to go to Psalm 109 here. What he does is he interprets the Old Testament through the lens of Jesus coming. So just think of uh, reading this Psalm 109 through the perspective of Jesus. My God whom I praise, do not remain silent for people who are wicked and deceitful have opened their mouths against me. They've spoken against me with lying tongues. With words of hatred, they surround me. They attack me without cause. In return for my friendship, they accuse me. For I'm a man of prayer and they repay me evil for good and hatred for my friendship. That sounds a little familiar. And it kind of goes on. And then uh, this particular Psalm goes on, talks about a person who's going to betray someone who is basically sinless. Um, I mean, David is writing this about his life, but ultimately it's about Jesus, right? And then eventually we get to that, that spot, may another, take his, may another take his place of leadership. So Peter knows that the Old Testament really only makes sense. That, that Psalm really only makes sense completely if it's through the lens of Jesus, if, it's through, if we put those words on Jesus's lips. And that's how um, he's teaching these people to interpret the Old Testament. And that's why, um, uh, the reason why it's so important for the people who get up on Sundays, whether myself or whoever else, to spend time to make sure we're uh, understanding what, what is being said there, interpreting what's being said there, spent doing the hard work of what's going on behind the text, what does it mean for us today? That's why we have to be connected to the word throughout the week. Like we'd rather get more sleep and I love sleep, it's great. But I also would love to hear what God wants to say to me. I would love that. Everybody would love that. And sometimes it's better to get you know, God's words than it is to get sleep. I think also, there are so many other messages out there that we listen to that we cannot help but have it be a part of us in some way. Or, or they can't help, even though they're lies, they can't help but become part of our beliefs. If we're surrounded by despair, we need the words of life to be a part of who we are. There's other paths of worry, anxiety, um, <laughs> consumerism leads to all those kind of things, uh, perfectionism leads to all those kind of things, performance in your career leads to all those kind of things. If we don't take the time to hear what God is actually saying to us, like our souls are gonna be led by all these other things. But I, I totally know how it is. You get up in the mo- maybe you actually even get up early in the morning, or maybe your time where you feel like you can spend time in the word is in the evening, whatever it is, and like the Bible is there, and you're just like, oh, I just don't even want to. I don't even want to. I'm just trying to resist it because I'm tired or whatever the thing might be. But in closing the Bible, are we trying to shut the mouth of God? 
I want to hear his, him speak, and I need to read it more to hear more of his words for me. Now, reading the Bible, maybe this is the reason why we don't do it often, reading the Bible does not mean you're gonna be struck by these lightning bolts of revelation every time you read it. You'd be like, well, that was a weird story. Next, I have no idea how that, like even maybe reading this, this chapter of Acts, like, oh, that's interesting. That's how like Judas was replaced. Like, what does that mean for me? And we're not always gonna get it. And that's, the point isn't like these like high mountaintop experiences. Maybe sometimes they'll come. Most of the time, they're not going to come. That's not going to be the case. But what we get is to be at the feet of God over and over and over as he's speaking to us over the years of our lives. So we're not looking for that, like, that dopamine hit of, oh, what's the thing going to be? And then like, oh, that was amazing. It blew my mind. And then if we don't get it, we're like, oh, man, well, I guess God wasn't speaking to me. And he just read like five chapters or something like, no, he was. Either you didn't understand it, or maybe it wasn't like as amazing as you wanted it to be. But these are all God's words to us. And over time, as we build it up, it's like compound interest. Over time, we, we begin to, to reap those benefits. I mean, and what we get to do is we get to be at the feet of the one who cares the most about us. We get to hear his words, the one who cares more about us, more about our problems, more about the people that we love in our lives than we do. And this is the one who gets to speak these words of love to us. I mean, who do you call in times of uncertainty? If you have that doubt, when you have that fear, who, whose advice would you just love to have? If I had former President Barack Obama's personal phone number and he was hounding me to call him all the time, he's like, bro, I, need, I know you need some leadership. I, I've been to Redeemer. You guys need some help. Call me, I'll help you. Like, imagine if that was a real, like, I would, I would totally jump at that. And if you found out that Barack Obama's like, I, is, is hounding me, and you found out I'm not actually calling him, like, Greg, what are you doing? Call Barack. Like, get that, get that info. Let's, let's get on the thing here. But God has all the words that he wants us to know, everything that we need to know in order to live a life aligned with him here, more accessible than Barack Obama's personal, like, you know, direct connection, bat phone kind of thing, because it's all here, and we can actually read it whenever we want, with whoever we want. I mean, maybe someone doesn't want to read it with you. That's fine. It's also, this is more powerful than any other kind of advice we could ever get because it's alive and it's working because it's coming from God. It's not coming from another human. And if we're not listening to God together more than just on, on Sunday, I mean, we, I know we need Sundays and we need like the personal times, but we also need in our core groups and our mission communities. It's what we organize stuff around the word. If we're not listening to God, um, which means listening to his words to us, like what are we listening? We will be listening to something. And if you don't care for your spiritual life, something else will, and you will be led by that. And so we, won't, we don't want that to be true. We want um, to be led by the Spirit. And so that's one way we do it. So we pray and we listen, but that's not where it stops because what are we praying for? What are we listening to God about? What well, all comes down to what we do, how we act, especially in how we make decisions here in this passage here. So as we pray, <clears throat> as we listen, we'll find that the word propels us out and the Spirit guides us. So last week, we focused a lot how the Spirit empowers us, and this, is, this week is about how he guides us. We're not just kind of given a power and let loose, but he gives us nudges here, he pushes us here, he kind of gives us these little, tiny little things on what to do next. And before acting, this community was praying to God, was listening to his words, kind of doing those two things, a lot of it. Um, and because of that, they were unified. They should have been scattered. They should have not been unified, but they were because they were praying and listening to his word, but then they had to act. Because in praying, the Spirit is going to tell them to act. And the Word tells them they have to act. That's what Peter brings up. Um, bringing, like, quoting a psalm saying, may another take his, his place of leadership. Now, that is not always going to happen in your life. 
you're not going to read this and it's going to be like, go get that job somewhere else. Oh, wow, if only I would have known. Like, it's, just, it's not going to happen that way, right? Um, and we'll, we'll get to uh, a little bit of the differences in, in our time and, and this time. But it, what we're looking for is an overall lens of, of wisdom and grace and stuff that comes from the Spirit that doesn't come from us. So they had to act. So Judas is dead. How'd he die? Well, Matthew says he hanged himself. Uh, Judas here, or um, uh, Acts here says that he um, fell forward and his intestines spilled out, which is a fantastic detail. How can you not love that? Um, and probably what happened is these two events actually make sense of each other. So a way to die uh, in a very kind of cursed kind of way, uh, if you were Jewish, was to be hanged either by yourself or somebody else in a tree. And another level of curse or, or dishonor was to be left there, for your body just to be left there to rot in the hot sun. Um, so as like a, 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 not only for you, but also as like a way to scare other people, kind of like do not be dishonored in the same kind of way. So probably what happened is he hung himself and eventually he's hanging there and eventually his body falls over and his intestines spill out and his walking dead kind of gore going on. Um, one commentator said, uh, this image is vivid and graphic, yep, intended not only to describe but to also leave an emotive impression on readers to prevent their following Judas's negative example of unfaithfulness and betrayal. It should be scary. Like, it's Walking Dead kind of scary. So that's, uh, so Judas is dead. Um, he's, done, he's done for there. Uh, now, what they're trying to do is trying to find um, another apostle. So we need someone to take Judas's place. He's dead, his guts are out, no one's touching it, it's gross. Um, no one even wants to look at it anymore. So what are you gonna do? Now, um, just a quick little sidebar here, because we hear the word apostle used often, and there's actual different ways of uh, how we should define this word. There is, yes, capital A apostle, there's lowercase a apostle, and there's gifts, apostolic gifts, gifts that come from being an apostle. Capital A apostle is what Peter's talking about here. Peter, in verses uh, 21 and 22, says uh, we need to ch- uh, the next leader that we choose has to be somebody who is with Jesus during his life and with him during his resurrection, like actually with them here on earth, like not just kind of with Jesus in a metaphorical kind of way, but like actually with him in person. That's capital A apostle. Those capital A apostles are going to start the new churches. They're going to be writing like other parts of scripture. Uh, They're going to uh, be laying hands on people. There's a very kind of specific role that God has for them. Uh, In fact, other places of the uh, the New Testament in Ephesians talks about that um, the church is a temple, the foundation of which is laid on on the apostles' teaching. We'll get to the apostles' teaching uh, in a few weeks from now. That's capital A apostle. So then we have lowercase a apostles, which are not people who are literally with Jesus, like on earth, but were people uh, who, are, who are leaders, um, who lead the church. Their words are not scripture because we have all of scripture here. We do not need to add to it. Um, they are not the foundation of the teaching of the church because we have the foundation of the teaching of the church. So apostle could be used as another word for leader. In fact, the word apostle just means messenger, someone who's able to talk about the gospel. And there's apostolic gifts that actually comes up in the end of... Um, the end of Acts, uh, the apostolic ministry, verse 25. The, um, apostolic gifts are things like um, starting new things, starting new communities, leading people, um, preaching the gospel, things like that, things that a lot of pastors have. So I, maybe that's helpful. because It's not um, difficult to run across someone who positions themselves as a tap, capital A kind of apostle and therefore has some kind of level of spiritual authority over people that they never really ought to have. Like, if anything, we're all lowercase a apostles. Like, all of us, we're all in the same boat. There's no kind of hierarchy in, Christian, in Christianity. Does that make sense? 
hope that's helpful. Um, something that you might kind of see around today. And I think it's fine to use the word apostle today as long as we're talking about, you know, the fact that there are people who are more like leader, spiritual leaders and um, people who aren't. Like, that's fine. So that's apostle. Right, back to the story here. How did they find this apostle? Uh, pretty big deal. One twelfth like, of your leadership team of this small, like, small church, what are they going to do? They're going to cast lots. Uh, uh-oh, what does that mean? Like, gambling? Like, what in the world does casting lots mean? Um, basically, it's like putting your name in a hat. Only they probably use stones. They put everybody's name on a stone. They put it in a bag, and they pick the names. Like, oh, right, you're our leader. That sounds kind of blasé. Like, that's not how we pick leaders here. Like, oh, all of a sudden, Claire and Ross and Anita, you guys are the leaders because your names came out of the hat. Congratulations. You guys are like, oh, I'm moving to another church. Uh, <laughs> Uh, that, that's how we find out who does chores. That's not how we find out like, who leads the church. Like, what's, what's the deal? What's going on here? Well, first, on the outset, they, the fact that they could rest on this comes from the background of them saying, God knows all hearts, and they prayed. Before they acted, they said, God knows all hearts, and they prayed about it. They're praying, they're, they're listening to his word, and that relieves uncertainty's burdens. And we'll talk about actually casting lots in a second. Just hang on to that for a second. That allow, but praying and listening um, allows us to take those burdens off our back and place them in the hands of God. We may not make the right decision. It may be like a, a, a kind of a wrong decision, but once we're able to live in that kind of way, that kind of walking with Jesus kind of way, we find that God actually does not demand perfection. He does not demand perfect decisions all the time. He doesn't demand perfect performance all the time. He gives us permission to act. And that gives us freedom. And also, here's going back to the casting lots thing, they actually are obedient to scripture here in this setting. Israel in the Old Testament often is called to cast lots for these kind of things, these kind of big decisions. And Joshua and 1 Samuel, 1 Chronicles, all sorts of places. Now, we haven't gotten here yet, and we're gonna talk about this next week, but when the spirit comes in a new way, casting lots becomes something that we don't do anymore. The reason why casting lots was in an external way for God to lead his people, like God's in charge of everything, even like random chance, even gambling or whatever the thing might be. And so we can cast lots and God can control who comes out of the hat. Um, it was an external kind of way of being led. But next week we're gonna learn about when the spirit pours himself out into our hearts. So actually decision-making in our lives become different. Now internal, internally that stuff happens. So we don't need to like rely on those external kind of games of chance that God is still just as powerful over. Now we get to make those decisions internally because the spirit's residing in us in a new kind of way. And so we don't, that's why we're not casting lots at, at Redeemer, because um, we don't do that anymore. Um, you're welcome. Uh, or maybe, I don't know, maybe you're all about it. Like, yeah, let's do it. We should have done that as an object lesson and seen like, oh, all of a sudden Colin's leading the church now. Um, but after the Spirit is poured out, all of that kind of decision-making reality that's going on here is, is being played out in our hearts if we connect with the Spirit in there. The Spirit guides us directly. <coughs> casting lots is like another level of like, of, of, of indirect action, but this is God's direct action in our lives. So though people are um, being obedient to the word uh, and to the spirit by casting lots here, we don't do that now. And this brings up, sorry, there's so many sidebars here, but it's important to get this in the beginning. Another reason of, or another way of how we can learn to interpret scripture. How do we interpret, especially stories? Acts does not say, oh, they did this and this was good. So everybody should do it like this too. You're just given the story. Like, so should we cast lots? I don't know. Like, should we, um, should people die when they don't give money they were gonna promise? That's gonna come up later. That's gonna be a fun one. Um, 
no, uh, by the way. Uh, so, oh, um, but uh, how do we interpret these? Like, how do we interpret these things? So, um, there's two words here: prescriptive and descriptive. How do we read stories in scripture, especially Acts? Um, uh, so, is Acts primarily prescriptive? Is Acts primarily a handbook on how we should act? And everything that we're doing that we read here is exactly a one-to-one correlation of how we should act in this church. That's prescriptive. Descriptive is, is this just like a story of what it was like for the first church to like survive and, and thrive and live? It has nothing to do with what we should do now. It's just describing what happened, more like a history reading. One's like a handbook, one's like history. Of course, acts is both. It requires interpretation to know where one goes and where one doesn't and where they kind of match up. And let's use casting lots as an example here. It's perfect because we're right here. Casting lots is descriptive. We already talked about the external means thing. Um, we can say it's descriptive because we have other texts in the Bible that tell us how to make decisions, to tell us how to go forward, tell us how to rely on the Spirit. We don't just think, I don't like the idea of casting lots, so therefore it's, it's descriptive and not, doesn't really have any hold on my life. It's because the Bible itself interprets, the best interpretation of Scripture is Scripture. And so if we look around Scripture, what does it mean? We look it into context, um, it'll, it'll tell us. And Romans actually puts it really well in verse 6. Uh, it says, by now, uh, but now, by dying to what once bound us, which is like the old law, the old covenant, the way we're doing things, by dying to that, we have been released from the law, so now we serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. So the old way of the written code said, yes, you have to cast lots, because externally, you have to rely on that in order for God to lead you. That's the old way. The new way is, is serving the spirit in, the, in this new way um, means not casting lots. The old way is gone, the new has come, and the new way is this. We get to serve in the new way of the Spirit. And the story we're reading now, though, gets even more tricky, because, and Acts in general is a bit more tricky, because it's in the fuzzy overlap between the old way of things and the new way of things. The old covenant and the new covenant. The old promise and the new promise. And so it's the fuzzy kind of overlap of both of those things is where Acts is going on. The old covenant and the new covenant, both are going on at once. But now we're in the new covenant. So what, the way we work, we're in the new promise. We work after the Spirit has been poured out, which we'll get to next week, and we serve in that new way of the Spirit. Hopefully that makes sense. If it doesn't, don't worry, I'll bring it up loads of times. Is this something we should do, or is this just telling, telling us how the Spirit worked there? Um, so anyway, here we are in our story. The church is moving forward. <clears throat> they prayed, they listened, they acting and acted, and even in the doing something, they're praying. They said, God, you know all hearts, and they prayed and they cast lots. They acted obedient to Scripture. See, it's not like a list, it's not like a formula. Praying, listening, and acting kind of going on all at once in like a stew all together. Um, And we need to hear this because we often make choices without thinking of their consequences. And I think one of the reasons is because we want to preserve our freedom, which is maybe a good first reaction, but we do that at the expense of our freedom, actually, because we want to do the things we want to do. And we're afraid if we ask God, if we pray to him, if we actually search the scriptures for it, we're afraid he's going to say no to the thing we really, really want. We really, 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 really want this thing. Really, really, really want this thing. And God doesn't like me, so he's gonna say no. He doesn't love me, so he's gonna say no. And maybe it's something that's completely legitimate. Um, Or maybe something could be complete terror if we don't have it. But when we come to that place where we're afraid to bring those burdens to God, we have to stop and think of who God is. Who is God? God is love. God is joy. What, what does God do with that love and joy that he is? He gives that to us. He lavishes it upon us. He goes through great 
cost, great pains for us to experience that. And he's the one who actually is the only one who can give us that real freedom that we're seeking to preserve in the first place. And if that's God and that's what he does, then who are we? We're his children. And he's a great father. He cares for us. He loves us. He might say no, but just the same way I would say no to Colin having 359th snack of the morning because it's actually good for him to not eat a snack every two seconds. And God is so much in love with us and so excited about us. Why would we want to hold ourselves back from him? I get it. We want the things that we want. We're just like Colin, all of us. We want to hoard the things we want. But when we keep decisions to ourselves, when we act first to get our own way and they're like, oh, I can always ask forgiveness later, what are we really afraid of? Like, do we really think God is withholding? That was, that's what happened in, in, in Genesis 3, in the beginning. God surely is not as good to me, so I need to figure it out on my own. Didn't work out too well for them. Never works out well for us. In our experience, are we the ones who are trying to keep him away, trying to keep his goodness away? We're afraid he's going to say no. Well, he might. He might. And that might be the best thing for you. A radical idea for our time is that we don't know best. A radical idea for our time is that we should actually not be in control of our lives. That is radical. I don't like that idea. That's radical to me. That's radical to any. That's not something that's going to bring in droves of people to Redeemer. Guess what? You get to follow Jesus and you don't get to decide anything for yourself anymore. You get to sacrifice your life. Sign me up. But the reason I think why all of us are here and wanting to grow in that is because we actually, as difficult as it is, we actually do know that's the best thing for us. It's our, in our best interest to have him in control. Now, maybe we like sermons that say that. We might agree on a Sunday. But if some kind of like third-party decision-making auditor came in during the week and was like, oh, I wonder how this person makes decisions, would that actually come through? Would the reality of what we talked about here in Acts 1 come through in our lives? Or would you just look like everybody else? Would anyone be able to tell? I think we all like the idea of being led by the Spirit when we need comfort, but we chafe at being led by Him when it requires the difficult decisions. We should trust him, and we can trust him. But let's not lose uh, the big picture here, because in this story, um, this particular story, uh, there's a, a particular action that needed to be made. A, a new leader had to be chosen. But in that particular decision-making process, we kind of get a, a, an overall picture of this is what it means to be led by the Spirit in general. And this is, I mean, they're in a much worse position than any of us are in. Right? They're persecuted, um, leaders betraying leaders. Uh, they, they basically probably think they're going to die. Um, they don't have very much to hang on to. And, but here's the reality for us. All these have to be true. We have to pray, we have to listen, and we have to act. If we pray and listen but never act, what good are we in the world? Like, that's not attractive. If we act and don't pray, like, what are we acting out of? Like, how, how could we know if we don't pray what we're acting out of? If we don't listen to the word, then what, what should we be doing? I don't know what we should be All this has to be kind of in concert with each other. And really, at the end of the day, we just have to do something. So don't, like, just pray. And don't use that as, a, as an excuse to not act. Like, we've been given permission to act, and we should. And there's no way to join God's mission unless we actually do something. So when we're called to act and then we don't, we aren't on God's mission anymore. We're on something else. We need to ask, say, God, we're sorry, please realign me. And we do that how many times a day? However many times a day we probably can. And this is why we have missional communities, not Bible study groups. This is why we don't have home groups because we're not first only about building community, although I hope we do. We're not first about only studying the Bible, which I hope we do. We're also about how all of this resorting into actual action. And that, we put the name missional communities on there almost to keep us honest. Like if we don't put the name on there, maybe we'll never do it. 
We just kind of hang out with ourselves because we enjoy ourselves and read the Bible. And that, that's great, but it's not completely obedient to how Jesus calls us to work the way the Bible tells us. I mean, what did it mean for uh, Jesus to live this way? Well, he prayed, he listened, and better than anyone else. In fact, it's crazy to think that God himself needed to pray often. Why? That's God. He knew he was gonna go through difficult things. Think of like the Garden of Gethsemane. He knows it's gonna be a difficult thing. He knew what was going on, and he had to pray about it, and he's God. Surely us, who go through things that do not even come close to approaching the garden, of the garden um, surely we need to pray. What are we, who do we think we are? Jesus' relationship with the Father is close, and that's why he prays. And, and the Father did not give Jesus what he wanted. He said, take this cup from me. The Father, and the Father didn't say anything. And Jesus was obedient. The more we pray and listen, the closer we get to our loving Father as well. And the more we, that we know that he, the more we know what he's about. In Jesus' prayers, and in listening to the Father's words to him, we've been given, uh, he was given a mission a mission to bring wholeness to all these broken people that he loved, to give peace to all these anxious people that he loves, to give rest to all these workaholics that won't stop working, but he loves them, to give comfort to all these scared people that he loves. The way he did that was to offer his perfect life so that we could be part of all of this. Jesus offered his life to us and for everyone who follows him, we now get a perfect relationship. And that father that we have is now constantly speaking love to us constantly speaking his loving words to us. The spirit is constantly at work within us. And Jesus is now praying for us, like right now, literally praying for us. What does that mean? I don't really understand. I'm supposed to know it, right? I don't know. It's amazing though. I want him to do it. Christ himself praying for us on our behalf. And this is something anyone can get in on. I mean, why would anyone try and shut those words out? But if we open our hearts to God, even if it's just a tiny little bit, we'll find nothing but love coming in. But Jesus didn't just pray, didn't just listen to the, to the words, didn't just listen to the Spirit. Of course, he acted. His act on the cross was what sealed this new reality for us today. He made it true. This act was costly, which shows us that God's plan isn't always easy. And it cost Jesus his life. And this bread is a symbol of his body that was destroyed so that we might live whole lives. And this cup is an image of his blood that was poured out. Not so that we would have to feel like we have to pour out our blood for him to serve him in some way that's gonna impress him or something like that. He's already given us all the perfection that we need. We don't need to gain it anymore. But now what we get to drink in is this new way of life, this new way of serving in the spirit, this new way of being led by the spirit, not left to our own choices to kind of destroy in our own kind of small ways that we will. And this table is open to anyone who finds their wholeness in Jesus. And whether you've done this once or never before, maybe a million times before, before the cross, we're all on equal ground. We're all needy before him. And if you find your wholeness in Jesus, this table is for you, even if you've never done this before. You don't have to be a member of Redeemer, um, but if you don't find your wholeness in Jesus, if, if being led by the Spirit is not where you are yet, that's fine, but please don't come up because we don't want you to be acting out a lie that you don't actually believe in your heart. And what we do is Michael's gonna come up in a minute, we'll sing songs, and as we sing, we take a piece of bread, we dip it in the cup, and we eat. And as we do this, we're saying we are needy. Hungry people do not say, look at all the great things I have in order to be fed. They just say, I'm hungry, I need food. We come to Jesus because we need his work in us. Let me pray. 
Lord, we need you to lead us. Lord, we surrender to you. As God's people, we pray to you, God, because we need to speak with you. It's a relationship. And Lord, we also, we need to listen to you in all the ways that we withhold ourselves from your love, withhold ourselves from what you really want in our lives. Lord, we're sorry. We don't wanna live that way. Would you, would you continue to grow us? We know we're not gonna be perfect tomorrow either, so Lord, continue that work over time. And Lord, as we do that, Lord, I pray that as we act, we would join you in bringing wholeness um, to others, wholeness to Trollton and to Manchester, as well as understanding and discovering that wholeness that you've brought to us. God, we thank you that you can lead us in this way, that we aren't left to ourselves. We pray that we wouldn't squander that uh, amazing and awesome truth that we would live out of that, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen.